God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Hey, Cross United. Pastor Danny here. I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 14, 22 through 26. While you're doing that, I want to remind you to go to crossunited.org. There at crossunited.org, there are two spots for you to click on the top menu bar. The first one is online check-in on the top left-hand side, where you can let us know a little bit more about yourself so we can get to know you a little bit better. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can let us know any ways we can be praying for you. Also there in the top right-hand corner of the menu bar is our giving tab. If you consider Cross United your church home or you consider yourself a generous person, I encourage you to give to our church and through our church as we are on this mission to see God's will done in South Florida. As a new church, we are working toward becoming self-supporting. We currently have partners from all over the nation, people and churches who, who partner with us and, and financially support us. But as we grow and mature, we need to become self-supporting. Also, I want to remind you there are a number of ways for you to get plugged in. Um, if you want to come early and help set up, it's a great way to connect with some other folks in the church and uh, you know spend some time, put in some sweat equity and, and uh, set up some tables and drapes and that sort of thing. If you have musical or singing gifts, you could be a part of our music team. Uh, we are looking for workers as well for our kids team if you uh, enjoy working with kids. We have Bible studies for uh, ladies, men, uh, girls, and then we also are going to, in the in the very near future, be restarting our middle school and high school student ministry. Uh, we're doing a book drive for Norcrest Elementary School, and finally, I want to remind you that we are going to do a big Easter service. We have yard signs available for you. If you'd like to get one, we can drop one off to you, or you can pick one up on the sun on Sunday, and uh, join us on Sunday. April 4th at 10.30 a.m. Invite your friends, your family, and, uh, and it's going to be a great, great um, time together. All right, there in your Bibles, we're going to be in John 14, 22 through 26. I don't know if you saw in the news this week, but there was uh, something that had never happened before in 150 years. It, since uh, the Suez Canal opened in 1869, something that had never happened in that in that long history happened this past week, and that is a large container ship called the Ever Given got stuck diagonally across the canal, blocking traffic from both directions. The Suez Canal moves from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, so ships don't have to go all the way around Africa. But this large container ship that's nearly as long as the Empire State Building got stuck. 
Um, what 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 happened, as far as as we can tell, is that a set of strong winds, combined with the sandy features of the Egyptian and and um, and Near Eastern countryside, um, combined to produce a dust storm that made it difficult to navigate this large ship, and it got blown off course and it got stuck. Mar market analysts. Um, were predicting an upheaval in the mar in markets because this was a glo a global shipping route, uh, f especially for oil tankers and and other container ships, and uh, it reminds me of the of the verse we saw in the study of John uh, earlier, John three verse eight, where it says that the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit you see the wind in egypt blew blew where it wished and and when that happened all bets were off shipping traffic was stopped and and the boats and the other ships there could do little more than bob in the in the rolling waters of the mediterranean or the red sea as they waited for a team to move this ship out of the way and and what we're going to see in in scripture today is that when the holy wind the ruach the spirit of god blows all bets are off that when god gets involved by his spirit um all bets are off the game changes and that all of our attempts to get the situation under control apart from the spirit of God are like, I don't know if you saw this picture of this little excavator next to this huge container ship. You may say, what excavator? This excavator. Our attempts to solve our own problems are like this little, well, compared to to a person, this excavator is big, but compared to the problem, compared to the ship, the excavator is tiny. We need the power of God to get involved in our situation. Here in John 14, Jesus is introducing us in, in a deeper way to the third person of the Holy Trinity, the paraclete, the, 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 the Holy Spirit. And he's telling us what this paraclete, this person, this um, third person of the Trinity, his spirit, the spirit of the Father and the Son, is going to do in the lives of his disciples as Jesus departs them to go to the cross on Calvary, to be crucified for sin, to be buried and raised from the dead, so that anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in him would be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. And he's, he's telling them that he's going to go away, but the paraclete, the spirit, is going to come. That's what we see here in John 14, 22. He's in this midst of this conversation, and Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrayed him, another guy named Judas, says, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And here we're going to see in, in these verses that our heart is intended to be the home of God. 
Look there again at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, How is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? We don't know much else about this Judas, um, if anything. In John or Luke 6, 16, it says he's John or Judas of James, maybe son of James or brother of James. We're not quite sure who this is person is. And whereas Peter and Thomas and Philip, who we saw in our miniseries, the best supporting actors, are not the main character. Jesus is the main character. They, they are uh, important characters. They're significant characters. Now, J Judas here, he's, he's not an extra. He's not just in the background, but he's like that actor trying to get their big break who gets a, a part in a show or a movie and he has one line. And this is his line, and he asks Jesus the question, why and how, how, what does this mean that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Because they understood that the messianic mission was supposed to be a global mission with universal implications for all of the world and all of the nations. And he asked this question, um, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? The world is the sphere where God creates and then this creation has rebelled against God and aligned itself against God so that God then, in his love and in his grace, sets about to redeem the world. So the, the, the cre creation, the world, is the sphere of God's creative and redemptive activity, but yet the system that's aligned against God. Jesus gives him the answer here in verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Here, here Jesus says again what we've seen already in just the, 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 the conversation before this in chapter 14, that affection is revealed in action, that what we do reveals what we love. And he says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. If you love me, you're going to follow me. And he answers Judas's question, how is it that I'm not going to reveal myself to the world, but I will reveal myself to you, my people, my friends and followers. It's because you love me and I love you. He says that if you love me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. Not that we earn God's love. We don't love God first. God loves us first. But God initiates this love relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. And then as we, we respond in love to God's initiation, then God reciprocates. And there's this mutuality, this, this reciprocity, this love relationship. So that then God, the Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, come and live in our hearts. God, the Trinity abides together in unity in the saints as though in his temple. You know, the temple, the, the, the Jewish temple was destroyed finally in AD 70, about 40 years after Jesus' life and ministry never to be rebuilt. And the reason for that is because now God has a spiritual temple, a human temple, a, an assembled temple in his church. And that is the temple he's building as he dwells like he descended from heaven and indwelt the tabernacle, the tent, and then the, the temple that Solomon built. He indwells his people and he indwells his church. And he says we will make a home with him. This is the same word Jesus has just used earlier in this conversation, John 14, 2. He says, in my father's house there are many rooms. Same word there. 
If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. So he's, he's talking in John 14 too about the, the dwelling places of the disciples, the rooms, the habitations of the disciples. And here he talks about the fact that the heart will be the dwelling. So the dwelling place of the disciples will be with God and God's dwelling place will be with his people. When we talk about homemaking, I'll never forget the first time Laura and I filed our taxes after she, uh, we had kids and she was staying home with our kids and and the occupation listed on the taxes mine said pastor and hers said homemaker and we think about making a home we think about that slow deliberate intentional expensive sometimes painful yet beautiful process of creating literal and and figurative space for a family we, we think about renovating a home. We think about having kids and raising kids. We think about this life, these people in this place. When, when we talk about God making a home with us, we, we think about the, he is slowly, intentionally, but, but inexorably, un, unfailingly renovating our hearts to make it a place worthy of his presence. He does that in Christ by the Spirit. We sometimes call this the process of progressive sanctification, where God dwells in us and with us, and he, he, he moves into our, our heart, and our heart is a fixer-upper, and it needs renovation, but he moves in, and he starts slowly renovating from the inside out. Thomas Aquinas said, God is said to come to someone because he is there in a new way in a way he had not been there before, that is, by the effect of grace. It is by this effect of grace that he makes us approach him. So nothing changes in God, but some, some, something changes in us as God meets us by grace and makes our heart worthy to be his home. Jesus continues, verse 24, The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Notice here Jesus talks about his words in the plural and the Father's words in the singular because we know that Jesus is the eternal word of the Father, the Father eternally speaking his word in the, in the mysterious life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally three persons and one God. And so because the the Son, Jesus Christ, in human nature, is the Father's Word. He speaks the Father's Word. They speak with one voice, and so does the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will never say or do anything that contradicts each other because they are one God. He says, the Father sent me, and he sent me. That's the language of a mission, that the Father has a mission for the Son, and it was a short-term mission. It was just a few years long mission. As the Son came into the world, he was born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, unlike anyone else who had ever lived since Adam and Eve onward. And he lived this perfect life, and he demonstrated the power of God in the kingdom, doing miracles and teaching, and he eventually gave his life up for crucifixion, was crucified for sin, buried, and raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and from there he sends the third person of the Trinity. The Father sends in his name the third person of the Trinity, whose mission will be a longer one than the Son incarnate. Look at verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things 
and remind you of everything I have told you. Remember, we've talked about the fact that we fall into two mistakes regarding the Holy Spirit. Mickey Klink says the Spirit is generally the most abused person of God, for he is either underemphasized for fear of abuse or overemphasized for fear of neglect. But the Spirit comes, and what does he do? It says, He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. The Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son to remind the disciples. And that's how how John writes this gospel down. That's how we got the New Testament. The Spirit came and reminded the apostles and applied in the minds and hearts of the apostles what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. The Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son, but the Son also sends the Spirit. Look at Acts 2.33. Therefore, since Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, He has poured out what you both see and hear. So, check this out. The Son's mission is to bring people to the Father, and the Spirit's mission then is to bring people to the Son, so that the Spirit brings people to the Son who brings people to the Father, so that we are with God, God is in us, and we are in relationship with God again. The Spirit never speaks or works or acts contrary or part to, in contradiction to, the Word, Jesus Christ. And notice there, you may not be able to tell right away, but it actually in the text, reveals that the Holy Spirit's not an it, not just a force or a power, but he is a person. It uses a personal pronoun. He will teach you, not it will teach you. He will teach you. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity, um, in the life of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit knows the heart of the Father and the Son because they are one essence. And he comes to us and he teaches us. Jesus says in John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 says, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. If you want your heart to be a home for God, listen to the Spirit. Learn from the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Because the Spirit will lead you to Jesus. Jesus in His person and in His Word written in Scripture. And and the, the Spirit will lead you to the Son and the Son will take you to the Father and you will know God. To love God in Christ by the Spirit. To listen to God in Christ by the Spirit. To learn from God in Christ by the Spirit. Our home is to be the home of God in Christ by the Spirit. Only the Spirit brings us to Jesus. Only the Spirit teaches us and empowers us. Without the Spirit, we're like that backhoe next to a ship the size of a skyscraper. And God knows this. So he gives the Spirit as a gift of grace and love in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
after the death of Jesus, the disciples thought it was game over. They hid and they huddled and they were more stuck than that ship in the Suez Canal. But then something happened. Jesus showed back up and breathed the Spirit on them. Look at John 20, verse 19. When it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now check out this connection made by a Bible teacher named Craig Keener who says, The only sign of their mutual love. So, so they've failed and fallen apart, but they have maintained their group cohesion. They, they, their failure to scatter from one another. They, they stay together. Thus, those present when Jesus arrives received the Spirit, but Thomas, we're, we see a little bit later, was not among them and didn't yet, was not yet able to receive the Spirit. We see that down in verse 24. And he says this, the Spirit is received by individuals primarily in the context of the believing community. And those who withdraw from that community also withdraw from the Spirit. What's the point of this? The point is that it takes a family to receive the gift. I don't know about you, but on Christmas morning or on a birthday celebration, we don't give gifts, we don't open gifts until everyone is there. We wait. God delights to give his children the gift of the Spirit of his Son. But he does that as they are gathered around the table of grace to receive the gift. You know, it took a team. It took a group. It took a massive mobilization effort to move that ship. It wasn't just one guy with a steam shovel. And if you want the power of God in your situation, in your life, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the living Christ, active in your life. You need to seek Him and pursue Him in the context of the believing community, the church. So the question then is, will you and will we let the Spirit fill us yet again?